Right then, welcome or welcome back to the Midnight Podcast, where we have super in-depth, authentic, super transparent, open conversations with an array of different entrepreneurs from many different industries. I really want to make this a podcast known for going super in-depth on loads of topics that other podcasts are scared to speak about. I feel like most stuff out there these days is just super surface level, super vanilla, and doesn't really answer the questions that viewers and listeners want to hear. So that's what we're trying to do. Keep it real and keep it raw. I'm sure you'll get a huge amount of value listening or watching the pod wherever you are. And if you do, don't forget to subscribe, recommend it to a friend, leave a like and a comment and just let us know what you think. And yeah, really hope you enjoy this episode. Right then, we're back with another episode of the Midnight Pod. Um, Bit of a different one this time, probably gonna get in trouble for getting someone on that isn't an e-com specific founder because i get that question all the time i like, get more fucking e-com founders on stop getting agency owners on we're mixing it up we have a dating app founder vian from pom dating which i'd actually i'd seen but i'd never used um i will admit i've fucking used hinge before i've seen thursday a lot i'd seen pom and then you said that you're like the same size as thursday and that's probably gonna if a certain person watches it who i tried to get on the pod it's probably gonna be controversial but yeah like with every episode I don't fucking plan anything. I'm sure there's a lot of interesting shit we can go into. But the first question really, who are you? What's your background? And kind of give us a, I guess a rundown from like, because you're how old now? 23. 23, yeah, fuck. Still very fucking young. Um, and yeah, just going back to like childhood, like school, uni, I guess, then up to kind of now. Because it's definitely a very different route to be like, fuck, let's start a dating app. Yeah. I'm certainly interested in your story. And I know we probably drunkenly spoke about a load of it like two weeks ago <laughs> when we met through mutual friends because it's a very fucking small world and then I was like I need to get you on the pod so here we are yeah <laughs> that's the first question really who are you what do you do I mean first caveat I didn't say we're the same size as Thursday with the biggest competitor within yeah. the UK right I've already got you in trouble yeah. there. <laughs> um, so yeah VM Patel uh, 23 year old founder of POM um, background nothing too special fairly normal sort of childhood and school school to uni um had this like idea of becoming like a like a consultant one of the big firms get a grad scheme get a job pwc prison yeah exactly that exact style i was on that grad scheme um so that was the plan but when i kind of got to uni i went to cardiff uni um it was a bit weird because i you hear so much about university and how it's meant to be like the funnest time of your lives like all these nights out but i got to cardiff and i was probably the shittest can I swear on this one? Yeah, yeah the, I fucking swear all the time, yeah, man. The, the shittest night out I've ever been on. Yeah. Um, and this was in Freshers. And obviously being from London, I'd obviously gone out quite a bit here and I was kind of used to a lot more choice, a lot better music, rather yeah. than like, I think the opening night That's was... the wrong way to go. Yeah. London to Cardiff. It was like a meet and greet with the Chuckle Brothers. And I was like, what the fuck have I got into? So I kind of did some research after Freshers and I was kind of like, who is running these events? And I was like, there's one major events company. So I thought, okay how hard can I actually be to fill an event? So mm. I kind of booked a, a booked a club um, and asked one of my friends to DJ because every third person you meet at university claims to be a DJ. Yeah. But I kind of knew he was good. Um, so he was my roommate at the time. And I was like, look, I'm going to start this events company. Do you want to give it a go? So I booked this venue, basically sold tickets through my friends. So I sold it to my friends. I was like, look, if you sell a ticket, I'll give you a pound. Like classics or commission mm. structure. And the first event did really, really well. And I was like, fuck, it's quite easy. Um, 
I was wrong, but the first one did quite well. Yeah. And I thought, kept doing that, kept doing that. And because there's only one other brand, it was like either you go to this this really like meet and greet Chuckle Brothers vibe mm. or you come to an event where we're actually booking artists that people want to see and like booking artists that would never come through Cardiff. Yeah. Um, so I did that for like my first year, kind of really scaled out uh, in Cardiff alone. And then when I was entered my second year, I was kind of thinking, okay, maybe this is what I want to do in my life, become an events promoter. Hindsight. You don't look like a promoter. No, no, I know. Hindsight, I was like, that's a good decision. I didn't yeah. do it. But at the time, I mean, it seemed perfect, right? I was, I was, it was all cash in hand. It was really good money, well, for a student. And I was just getting paid to party with my friends, seeing the DJs that I want to book. Mm. So second year, I thought, okay, let me take this outside of Cardiff, leverage the school friends I had. So they all went to like, you know, Edinburgh or whatever. And I was like, if I can do this in Cardiff, my uni friends, I can go to their university, hold events there, get their friends to sell me tickets and just do that. So the peak of it was like three to four events a week. Um, I was traveling a lot, like I was traveling across to see my school friends, different mm. cities, running these like events. And I was like, okay, this is it. This is what I want to do. Just scale that. So what were you doing at uni, like studying? Politics. And so, was there any interest in that at this point or not? I was just good at A level. So I thought, yeah. fuck it, why not? Um, so I kind of scaled to Edinburgh, Exeter, uh, even London, um, Newcastle, Leeds. And I was doing like weekly events in every city. And I was going fine. Like the money was good. Um, and across three years kind of scaled up six figures but then towards the end of my third year the pandemic hit and I was like oh god now now what am I going to do yeah so I was left with this decision where they sent us back home and I was like okay can I try and recover my exams at uni to try and get this degree and then go back onto this grad scheme vibe or do I really think about it and just sit, take these 10 weeks to actually try and start something else so I wanted to follow in the events footsteps so originally I thought about online events but I was like, who's actually going to turn up to an online event? Like, I would never do that. Mm. Um, it, it did work out for some, but for me, that was just not the real I wanted to go. But one thing that kind of stuck with me uh, whilst running these events is that the people that came to each event were very different based on the music that I played at the event. Mm. So, for example, techno, I started with techno events and it was like people dressed in black. They would go, they would look at the stage, they wouldn't really interact with each other, they were in their own little world. And yeah. then, compared to hip hop they'd be chewing a lot yeah exactly (laughs) like yeah jaws going side to side but um, when a hip hop event I remember my first ever hip hop event it was in this tiny club in Cardiff and the first guy to walk in was wearing no t-shirt and like a long fur coat and a big gold chain I was like this is going to be a very different event yeah Um, and then even the energy was different right everyone was dancing with each other no one really paid attention to the the people on the stage but they were just focusing with each other like vibing off each other at the end of the night I used to get a percentage of bar take so I was looking at what drinks were ordered mm. and like techno went from like vodka and lemonade, vodka sodas. And then at hip hop, it was like rum and Cokes, rum and ginger beer. Yeah, interesting. So I was like, this is a really stark difference. So I kind of thought, what can I do with that information? Um, originally it was going to be a, a sort of social network. And as soon as I thought I saw that, the first thing that came to my head, it sounds really cheesy, but the first thing that came to my head was Power of Music. And that's where Pom was born. Oh fuck, I didn't know that. Yeah, so Pom sounds a Power of Music. Yeah. And I was like, okay, what can I do with that? And then like, as things kind of developed and progressed, dating seemed like a logical thing. It was an interesting market. Again, I didn't really, I didn't do any research in the dating industry. I only bumbled Tinder Hinge and that was it. And mm. I thought, you know, fuck it, why not? Um, so yeah, that's kind of how it started. And when did you finish uni? Did, did you finish uni? Yeah, so we, well, I finished it in the pandemic. So 2020? So, yeah. And then you came straight out. What did you do then? Like, were you planning on getting a grad job? Did that even... So did in, you go down that route at all or was it straight into Palm? Straight into Palm. So within that lockdown, 
I kind of had the business model planned out, got the pitch deck ready and all that sort of stuff. Um, sat my exams. Uh, I still applied to jobs because you had to do that like two, three months in advance. I still applied mm. to jobs. Um, I got into two sort of grad schemes. Um, one, I followed through with the interview and then they rejected me. And then the second one, you know, I, d- I didn't tell, even tell my parents this, but I rejected without even like going forward with it. I got yeah. like past it. I was like, fuck it. Um, so I was like, now I kind of have to do something. So then within the, the second lockdown, that within four weeks we'd raised a quarter of a million to get this going. And how how did you even did you have a clue what you were doing in, in that sense? Going down No. Well first you starting a fucking software company essentially. Yeah, and I'm not a technical co founder. Yeah, so I've no idea. Raising money to do it. So I had no idea about much, but I knew that I needed money to build this. Mm. And I kind of thought, where'd you get money? Um, so I looked to the most formal place on the internet, LinkedIn. Yeah, and I sat down and bearing in mind this is lockdown so I was in my basement and you know Loom mm. I sat down and recorded 220 oh, yeah, you said video pictures yeah. and I sent it out to the investors I think like 30 people replied of those 30 9 invested that's pretty fucking good like yeah it was a good 5% close rate yeah but I was doing that all day every day um, so you, you had you made a pitch deck at this point so it was pretty I concise. made a, a pitch deck on Canva so yeah. I kind of had like 5 10 slides by this point so I kind of and uh, like at that point the idea was just a dating app that connects people via music based on what you learned in the events industry exactly and I had this huge vision I had this huge vision about a dating app based on music but also I had this emotional detection algorithm in my head that we use the music that you listen to to build out an emotional profile again I'm not a technical guy so I had no fucking idea how I was going to do that but mm. that's what I was pitching and everyone loved that. Everyone's like, wow, this is like first of its kind. Like no one's ever done this before. And I was like, yeah, we're going to do it. Hadn't got a CTO at this point, just brought on a co-founder. That was it. So there's no tech in the company at this point. So we raised on this idea. Yeah. Going back to uni for a minute then, and, like, and before that, did you, like, do you come from an entrepreneurial family? Like, did, had you thought about entrepreneurship? Obviously it's very different than a fucking PwC grad scheme, yeah. which a lot of people would, would do. Um, or, or was it the events that like, opened your eyes to fuck I can like make money myself for a start I wouldn't say I come from like an entrepreneurial family like I've quite a big family and as cliche as it is they're either doctors lawyers dentists mm. pharmacists um, my dad's a pharmacist I kind of got that sort of entrepreneurial spark from him because he kind of came here with nothing yeah um, and then built this uh, pharmacy whatever um, but he loves the education system because of that because without that mm. he wouldn't be where he is yeah uh, my brother's a doctor but I think the first kind of thing, the first moment is when I was like seven years old and it was something at the time where like Martin Garrix had just dropped his new track Animals or some shit. And I was like, shit, I want to be a DJ. That definitely wasn't that long ago. It was ages ago, dude. Wait, 17 or seven? Seven. No. Animals, I swear that was like 2015. How old was it? Yeah, 2015. You mean it was like 14? Yeah, okay, fine. So whenever that song came yeah. out, I was like, I want to be a DJ. Yeah. So I kind of, I didn't get an allowance. So I, I went to my parents, I like, look, I'm going to be a DJ. Can I get some DJ decks? It was like mm. 120 pounds. They're like, no. They're like, you're not going to be a DJ. Why would you even want to be a DJ? All this sort of stuff. Yeah. So I was like, fuck, I really want these DJ decks. So I tried to figure out how I could earn 120 pounds. Um, I did random shit. Nothing really worked. And then when I kind of sixth form at school, started a clothing brand. Again, didn't really do much. Probably got the at its peak, a thousand pounds a month. Like a, mm. I was probably costing about 800 pounds. Everyone has a clothing brand. Exactly. I used to have one. And I was running the ads myself and I was just doing really badly. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of like the first the first step into it. 
but then as soon as I got to uni it was like that's when it was a real sort of business I guess yeah and then like were you making enough money from the event stuff to not be at uni yeah at that, that point I was because was like why would you stay at uni because for me I, I left uni the second I had enough income from not be, from not uni stuff that was like fuck this I'm leaving trying to pitch two brown parents and you want to leave uni to run yeah. events that's a tough sell yeah no I can imagine I didn't even tell my parents I'd left I just stopped going and then like six months later I told me I, I dropped out so yeah I I, I I think I enjoyed uni for the I liked it for the social yeah like, I, I enjoyed it um, but it was it was fun kind of running these events and dropping out of uni it's, it's, it's a risk and I didn't take that risk but I didn't follow through with anything I learned from uni yeah and do you think if COVID hadn't happened like COVID hadn't happened and the events industry wasn't fucked would you have intended to keep running the events industry after uni like the events industry the events company was it that was it big enough and viable enough to like scale it probably it, like it probably glorified promoter yeah it probably would have done but I don't think I would have lasted because hmm. there was a point in my second year where you can imagine if there's three or four events a week I'm sitting on trains for four hours at a time, staying up to 4 a.m., coming yeah. back every night. And I, like, whatever, the substance of the drink, it just, it did catch up. There's a point, there's a photo of me. The substance, yeah. <laughs> there, there, there's a photo of me where you can, like, uh, see the actual creases on my cheekbone. Like, there, was a, there was a bad point. Know. Yeah. So I was like, this lifestyle is not sustainable. It was fun when you're uni, but can you imagine being 24, 25 and still living that lifestyle? A lot of people do. Yeah. Because I, I used to be like intimidated, but I, I went to uni in Newcastle. It's like classic, big, like you've probably had a massive events there. Yeah. There was a load of promoters and I'd look up to them and be like, oh, they're the fucking man. But then I'm pretty sure the same people are still, they're still promoting the same events. The like, guy who owned that Chapel Brothers agency is like a 40 year old guy. Yeah. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, legit. But when you were at uni, like the promoters, you know, they skip to the front of the queue. You're like a god in that yeah. small sphere of the world. Yeah. But yeah, no, I definitely agree. It's not sustainable. So did you not feel pressure to like, obviously you said you didn't drop out of uni because your parents, but then when you'd finished uni, were you not pressured into getting a job while you were figuring this out? I was, and I was telling them I was applying. That is at that point I had the, the balls to kind of just like lead them on a bit. Cause I, I wasn't sure how long the pandemic was gone. There was always an excuse, like the pandemic, oh, I couldn't get a job, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, at the, after the first lockdown, I had my eyes set on this dating app because then I started flying through and I started like looking into it and I was like this could actually work it's quite mm. viable and I could tie events in there by like meet on the app go to one of the events like bond over music so I was just telling them I'm going to get this job I keep applying said I got applying and then when I got this job I was almost like crap because then there was a decision of, like do I do I tell them and then I have to take this or be, you know, be really strongly advised to take this so I just, just said no and then still don't know about that Yo fellas, quick one. First bit of promo for the pod. You may or may not have heard, I released a fucking e-com course a few months ago. Basically spent like six months making it because I was in between businesses, as you probably know, if you follow my shit. I must say, 12 hours long, it's fucking quality content. I was gonna drop it at like 1500 quid with some bullshit guru-y webinar and all that rubbish, but as you know, it's not my main thing. I'm working on a new brand right now, very, very fucking much in the trenches, which is why I think it's actually a better course than everything else out there. It's built on real experience of my brands in the past and my current one. I think it's super, super valuable. If you're interested in e-com, you're already in e-com and you wanted to get into e-com zero to one starting a brand from scratch then definitely worth investing in link is in the bio of this video or podcast spotify Apple music wherever the fuck you're listening or watching and enjoy the rest of the pod and then what was the process then? so how quickly did you go from sending it out to getting the money in 
Because it sounds within like four weeks. Within four weeks. Yeah. And then what? So you're sat in a basement. You got an idea. And then I was like, you don't know how fuck. to make it. Yeah, we're like, we've got to build this app. Yeah. Um, so the first thing I did was, I biggest mistake, I think I made to date was not bringing a technical co-founder or technical team in-house at that point Mm. because as I'm sure we'll discuss later the journey got very rocky because of my tech yeah so I outsourced it to a and actually it was an agency in England who did it well but they were costing crazy amounts like Mm. like literally 50% of that raise was going just to MVP of the app Um, so we kind of pulled out halfway through and then I found a cheaper alternative uh in South Africa but he was registered it was like a Russian company based in South Africa they were, out, they were outsourcing to Indians and yeah. it was just like was, it was this just like Upwork spec or yeah literally like, I went on Upwork to find these guys yeah and for what I wanted to build they couldn't do it they knew they couldn't do it but they didn't want to tell me they couldn't do it yeah so we stayed with them halfway through left them found a Polish company to take over and then went left the Polish company went back to those South Africans and bearing in mind code I'm not sure how many people know or understand the code, but for me, I, I thought don't. I thought it was like plug and play. Like here's yeah. a code base, add on top of it, remove shit. It's not. It's like it's like art. Everyone has their touch to it. Everyone can do it mm. different ways, and like so you can't yeah. just give someone a piece of code and like fix it. So at this point, there's like four or five different people had touched this code base, and like I looked at it and looked alright. It's just not those in the ones, right? But mm. in reality, it was a fuck code base. And that's kind of what happened. Where do you even build an app? Like, I mean, I literally know nothing about this market because obviously with an e-commerce brand, you're going to Shopify, build a website. It's, it's like fairly plug and play to a basic level. Is there an equivalent of that for like building a, a SaaS offering or an app? There is like no code solutions like Bubble.io, mm. which in hindsight, I wish I explored more. At this point, I, I, like, I had 250K. I was just leaving like 21 and you know, I felt like I was fucking Elon Musk at the time and I was like it's okay. pretty fucking impressive to be fair but then I was just like okay let me just get this app ready because I'd promised the whole world right and I, I, I justified a stupid valuation for a first time founder with no tech team so like yeah. they kind of assumed that I'd, I knew what I was doing here I told them I had everything lined up but I didn't yeah I was going to say because just going back on that like how did you even where was your credibility coming from to even close these nine investors or was it just the bit thing that helped me was I took the time to prepare a pitch deck and a financial model. Mm. So I actually got in touch with the uh, the ex like financial director of you know Velocity Black. Don't know. It's like a members club, like e members club in New York City. Um, I got in touch with him through LinkedIn through a connection, and he helped me build out this financial model. Yeah. So when I send that to an investor, to them they're like fuck he knows what he's talking about. Like he yeah. can do this financial model and like everything on it. And I understood it because like, I learned it. So if they asked me a question, like what does sell C for me? And I, I could pin it down. Mm. So I think the way I presented myself and the way I was doing stuff and like, plus like the experience of the events and like saying yeah. I can connect it back to events. I've experienced in events. I know how to scale that. We can just do this with an app. That's where their trust came from. Yeah. So basically you were smart and you worked enough on looking like you knew what you were doing. Yeah, and I always believed I'd get there. It was yeah. just like, how do I get Like, I'd make up as a go, but I knew I was going to get there. Yeah, yeah. But it was the tech, no. the problem. Everything else went fine, right? Our marketing was great. Everything was doing well. Um, we set a target to hit 25,000 signups in London over the course of four months. Did it within six weeks. And then that's, that's where the problem started. So then we decided to raise more money. 
Just going back slightly before that, sorry, because I'm trying to put the pieces together. Did, did you just, did you start this because you thought, because it was like a personal experience and like, oh, other dating apps haven't worked for me, this might work? Or was it, or was it purely based on the event experience and, and you just thought there must be a market for this? I, I did a very basic test. Like you Were often, you ever a customer for it in your mind, is what I'm saying, kind of? Yeah, I think I, I never thought of it like that, but I think in my back of my head, like I was mm. like, yeah, like I'd love to meet someone with the same sort of music taste to me. Yeah. But like, I wasn't an avid data user, a dating app user at the time. Personally, I don't like what's out there in terms of dating app solutions. Um, I thought music would be a cool way because of the way I, I could integrate events, the way I could use this like emotional filtering that I had in my head to do this. Yeah. Um, but I didn't do any research. That's the thing that I, I don't think that hurt me. I think it was a blessing because I think if I did the research of dating apps, I know now, why the fuck would you start a dating app? It's so saturated. Every two days, a new dating app comes out. Yeah. And it is like, it's a horrible industry to be in. Yeah, the one thing that strikes me off about with, with dating apps, broadly speaking, is, and we can get into the science of this, but like ultimately for the app to be successful, they have to lose users Positive at term. some point. Yeah. So like they have to fucking find someone and not need the dating app, right? Yeah. So it's like, but then that's the, an interesting caveat of, of that. But that's also like, that's when you know you're doing something well. Yeah. But then you can like, cause like realistically, if someone who meets in your app, obviously you hope they end up marrying them but that chance is very fine. So you just got to be mm. in the back of their head like every four months, send them an email. Remind them that we're still here to look after them. Yeah. There's a lot of like stuff I've learned, like behavioral tactics that these companies do yeah, yeah. that now we're starting to implement, which is crazy. Right, so four months, you, you got the money in. How long did it take to build these? Sorry, was it four months? Four weeks. Four weeks, you yeah. got the money in. You started building the MVP. How long did that take to get something that was usable so that to took- a decent level? Okay, now I'm trying to put the timeline back in my head. Okay, so it was towards the end of summer. We're at the end of summer. 2020. 2021. Oh, shit, okay. 2021, end of summer. Yeah. Yeah, so like last, last, mm. yeah. Yeah, a year ago. Okay, this is where it goes wrong. So at that point, we're building the app. The app's looking good. Bearing in mind, I still don't have an internal CTO. I'm looking for one, and I'm about to hire a part-time one. But at the time, it's just me, uh, my co-founder, and my head of product who was a friend from uni that was a horrible situation itself where did the co-founder come from because we've, we've missed that as well so when okay were they there right from the start no I'm trying to put this together before yeah, we I get to yeah I think I did a really bad job explaining my timeline yeah it's terrible so okay after <laughs> after I built the business idea I was like this is what I want to do mm. I then went to my friend Vlad and I was like look let's do this because he's very good operationally in terms of like boring stuff. Yeah. So I approached him then and then we raised the money and then we brought on a head of product. And was he the technical co-founder? No, we, I, at this, but the head of product was- so neither of you were technical? Neither of us were. Are you developers or whatever? Yeah. So at this point we brought on this head of product who we thought would be our technical co-founder. He's a friend from uni, mm. was a friend from uni. Was but, he technical? He did a computer science degree. Right, yeah, okay. Um, we'll get onto that and what happened to him in a bit but I'll, let me create the timeline so then we start building this app uh, everything seems to be going well we then deploy the marketing and get the pre-sign up because with the dating apps work it needs to be a lot of people in a concentrated area so you mm. need that critical mass um, otherwise you can go wider but why would you want a mattress on from Algeria right yeah so it's like yeah. we locked off London you only can sign up if you're in London so we did that and obviously dating app 
with music, it's such an easy idea to get. It, it had the potential for like, we were, it was less than 50p to get an email to build up this waitlist. We did it very quickly, very cheaply. So we had this traction. So I was like, okay, let's, let's launch, do another round. But had you built the app at this point? Though? No, it's still being built. Right, okay. So it's still like being built. Doing pre, pre-launch that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so at that point, the app's still being built. We have like maybe 50, 80K left in the bank. So like, let's raise another round. Again, went for 1.5 mil. Did that within just over four weeks of time. We tried to beat four weeks. We did that over just over four and weeks. You, had, you didn't have like revenue at this point or, nothing, or users? Nothing. Just 25,000. very easy. Um, this is not arrogant. But I think the raising part was the easy part. Mm. I think if I think money's always there if you need it. It's just, who do you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and it's like, who do you know? How do you, how do you get there? So I didn't take money from friends or family. That's the conventional route. You go friends or family, then you go angels I, and VCs. I think that, that's not the conventional route. I think that's the London bubble route for people that come from money. Yeah. And a lot of people watching this will say, well, I couldn't do that. And, and I certainly didn't do that because I raised a bit of money for my new thing, but it's kind of different because it's e-com. But as in like revenue history, whatever. But yeah, I, I, I found it quite easy myself because I had a network. But the thing that's interesting about you is you, you did it at 21 having not started a business before. Whereas for me, I'd started two, one successful and one that was successful that went wrong business before. Yeah. So like, that was my credibility that made it relatively easy. But for you, it's like, you never even started a business before. So your credibility came from, I guess, what your financial modeling so on. But then doing it again, at a much larger amount, still pre-launch. Yeah. But yeah, it's a lot easier to raise before you launch a product because the potential is still amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's as soon as I can put real numbers in there. Yeah. Then it's then they can model that. Yeah. They can predict that. At this point, I'm still pitching on like my idea. Yeah. And plus, the investors from my last round, they they were like they they loved the idea, so they were like introducing us to friends. Mm. We had a couple of VCs who got in touch, but we didn't want any VC money at this point because we pure still were angels, pure angels. Yeah. So we're still figuring out what we want to do. So we just kept bringing angel money, um, people relevant angels though, not just any sort. The first round anyone want to give me money I'll take the money yeah this round it was like okay I want like experienced business people I want startup people um, I want people from the music industry I want these tactical investors so we did that round okay now this is where it goes a bit wrong so obviously we're building this product we're promising this product and we've hit this 25k and we said we're going to launch the app as soon as we hit this 25k we hit it a lot sooner and I got to the point people like can you just like launch the app already like just launch it Um, and Oh fuck! I missed out something. I missed. Tell me. Go back. So okay, before before raising the one point five, when I was talking about this head of product, he left because we found a new CTO. Yeah. He left in a not so nice way. A bit of a legal dispute. He sued us. Did he have equity? No, he didn't. So he never signed his employment contract. Right. Um, we won't get into it. I'll tell you off camera yeah, afterwards. But right. uh, anyway, so he's gone. So this time we we hired a part-time CTO who's still our CTO, Luke, now today. Um, and then he was in charge of overseeing all this development. We were in charge of fundraising. He was in charge of development. The market was fine. So he told me like maybe 10 days before we announced we we're going to launch. He was like, dude, I don't think, I don't think it's ready. And I was like, literally, they're working for like five months. How can it not be ready? It's, it was just, a, at this point, there's no, there no algorithm. There's no complicated algorithm at this point. It was just a dating app. Like just match with music. Connect Spotify and match. Um, and he told me in his fantasy, he's like, I wouldn't do it. But I'd announced it, that we're going to do it. Yeah. And then four days before launch, these developers who bear in mind have been telling me that everything's going fine, 
they quit all of them why they just like we can't get it done time like, we, we don't want to continue with this project and they quit yeah so again I'm like so did it work at that point was it usable we still launch yeah we launch it we announce it to the wait, wait list in our in our fault we probably should have staggered the wait list we just emailed everyone mm. within the first two hours we had like eleven and a half thousand people trying to hit the app they hit the app and it was fucked like the the testing did not match what they deployed mm. so what I'd been seeing was like videos of them playing around in it they're looking great like it works fine yeah got it into production and it was the worst thing the app tanked and it got to that point where on launch day this part-time CTO was spending you know like 24 hours trying to fix these bugs but when he's not been involved in building the code base and like I was saying earlier you can't just plug and play so he sat tried to fix this and he was just like this is just not going to work so we kept dragging this like dead horse of an app for maybe two weeks we lost like you know over 10 15,000 followers like people our, our ratings still not recovering like people were like constantly shitting on our on our ratings and yeah emails going through we made it we like i brought everyone in to kind of like we had to respond to everyone to make sure everyone like knew that what was going on like we were being fully transparent and that was like that was in november i was like this is just awful um so we took it offline for a month and we went dark and we hired um we got recruiters in we hired proper tech with this new money that so we hired proper in-house developers um, paying way above market rates just to get them in. Mm. And that showed me the difference between good development and bad development. These guys have been working for five months, released that. These guys rebuilt my entire app within one month. In-house? Or In-house. Yeah. So I hired all of them, paid above market. I didn't care. I was like, I just need you to stay here, rebuilt it. And then we relaunched again, end of November. And it worked. And it worked. So from end of November to now we basically had to start again so all the money that we had spent on marketing on building this brand that people liked and all this like like build this community yeah was almost not wasted but it was almost wasted how are you acquiring like emails in, in that initial period it was just like facebook instagram facebook ads. instagram the standard shit yeah we did a couple you mentioned tiktok as well before right that was post-launch right yeah um and now tiktok's our primary driver yeah cool so you get to november it works how many people are on it like because obviously I guess the thing with the dating app and a lot of apps particularly dating apps if you don't fucking have people on it it's hard to match with people at least you were just in London which makes a lot of sense yeah but we still had this magic number of something like we needed 7,000 people to be on it for enough people to not run out of people essentially Um, at the current rate of onboarding new users Mm. so at this point we had like I think we had four and a half thousand people actually respond to our second round of emails being like, look, we're back. We promise we fixed it. Come back on. Mm. Um, so I think four and a half thousand people jumped on. And then that's when we started like hammering acquisition. Yeah. Like, like oh, 80, 90k a month just acquiring users. Where was that mainly being spent? TikTok? No, not yet. Facebook. Just Facebook. Instagram, Google. What was the CPA like on a, getting a user? So Facebook, it was about... It starts off like £12.50 for complete registration. Mm. And then I think we got as low as like £4.50. Google's consistently like £3.45. Yeah. Um, so we we were like £3.45, that's decent. That's above industry average. Yeah. We were happy with that until TikTok came along. Mm. It's fucking destroying all that shit. How cheap? TikTok, but now it's almost like a pound. A pound of complete registration. So that's to get someone that makes a profile. So there's like, like, yeah. Adding so to the Download the app, open the app 
complete their profile and make a first action. Yeah. And are you outsourcing this to like agencies? Was, was this in-house as well? So I did outsource. Uh, that's, that's how I met. Because that's an age-old debate with like media buying. Yeah. And it is still for me. We outsourced initially um, and now we've got, I wouldn't say it's outsourced. He started in-house um, but does I mean, yeah, it's freelance because he does other clients, mm. but he started exclusively with us. Yeah. Um, so now he does it for us. What sort of creative are you running to get people on? Because obviously, like, creative, like, particularly for, for my new brand, is, like, the biggest thing now that I'm focused on. Because especially with one product, and it's kind of similar for you, like, I've got one SKU, you've got one app. Like, the product is what it is. Yeah. So, like, creative feels like the biggest variable in, like, acquiring customers. So, like, what's working for you? See, but what I'm lucky with is I can... Because mine's music, right? I can pl- t- tap into any genre. Yeah, so true. I can have goths, I can have rock stars, I can have yeah. like your typical hip. I don't know what typical hip hop people look like. But your hip hop, you can. I can do everything. I can do live events. I can go into the really like heart wrenching romance. Mm. So we try a lot of stuff. Like a lot of actually, what works is just phrases. Yeah. Like send playlists, not nudes. That, yeah, I've, like, I've seen your Instagram. It's, yeah. it's a lot of yeah, it's cool shit. It's, it's very just, Pinteresty. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. that's just our oh, new head of brand, Pippa. That's her. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, so we did a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, even even now that I we, I wouldn't say we crack creative, because at the end of the day, what I'm learning, our paid media is our consistent. That will never never get us to the numbers we need to get. Yeah, we need the organic and we need the spikes of activity. That's where and the viral stunts, stuff. Yeah, that's where our stunts come into play. That's where our PR comes into play. Mm. And that's what's important. I know it's Thursday day and do a lot of stunts. They're kind of like famous for that. Yeah. Um, I see it on LinkedIn all the time, which is kind of like annoying because it's always there, but it clearly works. It does. Do you do a lot of that? I know you're doing more of that now. Because like we were actually speaking about this from, from like an e-com perspective, because I've never done it. Like the past like six, seven years I've been in, in, in e-com, it's always just been like paid ads for me. But now it's I'm thinking kind of beyond that because everyone can do paid ads and it's more and more competitive of course so now it's like yeah viral organic guerrilla stunts whatever which is like more ballsy and risky in a way it's risky but, but it's more interesting like you said Thursday do it mm. and we can't speak about that but it's a Thursday today so yeah. we're obviously not using the app <laughs> but see the, the, you know how they started they had a dating app beforehand called yeah, Honeypot. Honeypot yeah I saw um, that and that's where their grill started because they ran out of ad budget or whatever and they held the sign up and went viral. Mm. And that's what they're known for. And like, say what you want about them, I'm not going to make any comments, but they're great marketers. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They are. They, they know what to do. They know how to layer everything in a way that you see it from my LinkedIn. I close my LinkedIn, I go to my Instagram, I see it. Yeah. Then I see it on someone's story and like someone texts me, oh, what do you see? Oh, fuck off. Like, you know what I mean? But yeah. they get everywhere. Very true. So we were seeing this and we were like, is this a really obvious play that we're missing? So we just gave it a go. We just literally just thought, fuck it, why not give it a go? It works, like really well. What sort of stunts have worked? So we, we rented a, a pink limo um, on Valentine's Day and spray painted, stop faking orgasms to shit music. Yeah, fucking hell. Um, That's a good one. Drove that around central London. That was fun. That got a lot of downloads. The most recent one we did was, um, have you seen Kim Kardashian and she's like in that black and yellow Balenciaga tape? Yeah. So we did that and tied people to polls with like different messages like the stop faking orgasms and playlists not news, like all these different types of slogans. Yeah. That got us 6,500 downloads overnight. Oh shit. Because um, we were just taking photos of it and we didn't even brand it. Like we didn't put a POM on it. We just, How do you attribute downloads, downloads from a public stunt? 
Because we know how much we get daily, right? We know because yeah, our consistent right. ad spends. Yeah, anything on top, like, we can roughly say this is because of this. Yeah. Um, because that's the thing with Grilla Market. There's no way. Same with like out of home advertising. Like we did tube uh, Yeah, ads. unless you do like a discount code, but I guess for you it doesn't work. Yeah. Or like, yeah, some sort of link. The actual app then itself, how does that work? So obviously the basic principle, because like a few things I would initially ask is like, so do people even put images on their profile? I didn't want purely to, music but taste? they do now. And the other thing that jumps to mind is that I have a very eclectic music taste. I would say I literally listen to every genre, like death metal, rap, like piano music, jazz, that's romantic fucking pop rock. That's the perfect. That's just me. But that's the perfect sort of person we want. So, so is it like, so, so it's not just defining people by hip hop. It's, it, it's like taking their mix. Yeah. Somehow so, mixing that with other people. Remember this emotional algorithm that I was telling you about that I said I wanted to happen? Yeah. That's happened. So we've, we've got there in the end. Yeah. So from day one, though, you had to manually... We always connect to Spotify app music. You don't input your own music because what we found is that... People lie. Exactly. If someone asks me who's my favorite artist, I'm going to say... you know, Drake. Drake, whatever. But in my shower, I'm singing like Adele. Yeah, like, you know, facts. You don't tell Very people true. what you really like relate to. So we put Spotify app music, direct login... Now we're adding in more DSPs as well as so your title or whatever. Um, and the first 12,500 people who signed up had to manually enter. We pick certain songs and genres and artists based on how frequently they listen to them, how often, um, same thing, how frequently, uh, mm. like most recent, all these different time periods, plus like we could see certain times a day they were listening to consistent tunes. So we would ask them these questions like, why are you listening to this song? at this point how does this make you feel and we built up like the database of like emotion response we did some other research we launched a product um which was unbranded that six thousand people went on which was like a playlist generator where they'd say i'm feeling happy they'd log in with their spotify and we would make an assumption of what's happy songs for them and mm-hmm. they could adjust it so then we'd have that data as well so we use this data to then fuel this algorithm that now looks at your spotify and can be like okay based on all the music you listen to we can say that your emotional profile is like you have different attributes like you're happy or sad like whatever and we it's done into i don't remember the graph's called but then we match you based on these emotional profiles so it's not just you like beyonce someone else likes beyonce you're a perfect match but how, how does that emotional profile thing link to i think she's fit she's not but this is the whole point we're not going for superficial metrics so if, if but okay so in layman's terms if i log onto the account i make a profile I'm still putting like pictures of me, obviously. Yes. But then, so, so when I'm is it a swiping, liking, whatever, like, is it automatic? Is it automatically matching me with people based on? It's sending you people who we think me, are the okay, best. Right. Most and then I pick people yeah. that it sent me that yeah. based on my music taste. So you can see with. through their profile. You can see what their songs. You can play their songs. You can save their songs. You can send them songs. Yeah. And I need to try this app. There's different prompts and everything, and we send you who we think is going to be your closest match and then say you send me 10 people i can pick which ones that i want to speak to or whatever yeah it's, it's, it's hinge style as opposed to tinder so you send them a like yeah okay do you find that like is, is there a way to see for example like if there was a really fit girl that had a different music taste would she just not come up because the whole premise is music taste initially different music taste is as in like, it's, it's very it's very difficult to say different music tastes because they may have similar emotional response, but different music tastes to you. Yeah, so 
If it's complete opposite it, spectrum. How is it like deciding if we're compatible or not then? I guess is a better question. Similarity of emotional profile, not music taste. Right. And like, for example, someone that likes feeling reflective and like, okay. like someone that, is that how it works? Or is it like, is matching people that are always sad with each other? No, but that, we found that was a dangerous thing to do. We, we thought about like, if we yeah. went too specific and then like one of our investors posed the question, I was like, okay, but what if people are like listening to really sad music and they're generally just very depressed? Do you really want to be matching them together? Yeah. So we do like highlight. It's like an ethical debate. Yeah, if it's like, if it's like very sad, we can highlight with the one happy song and then put emphasis on that. Mm. And like, if you think about, I don't know if it's going to help, but if you think about it, it's not a rigid, it's not rigid. It's a very soft thing. So it kind of molds away because at the end of the day, we put who we think is most relevant to you mm. there are other tricks on the app to keep you engaged there's other stuff that makes you want to stay on the app yeah no app delivers complete what they think is like for example tinder mm. you will see the most attractive person on tinder within your first five swipes then the next after your first 12 swipes yeah because they they base it like that we don't do that in such a way like that but we obviously have our ways of making sure that you don't, don't get your top 10 matches find someone then you're off the app mm. so the big three that most people would know initially like you said at the start is like tinder hinge bumble and in my mind like the brand positioning of those three is like tinder is like a hookup app at least now it's like it's the oldest and like most grotty one in my opinion hinge feels like a mix of like hookups and people that are actually looking for relationships which probably never actually become relationships. And then Bumble is like, all the feminists go on there. Bumble's just Tinder, but uh, women go first, right? I don't really get Bumble because- it, I mean, it I works mean, there, right? I'm gonna get canceled for saying that, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, I've been on Bumble, but it's it's a certain type. How do you position yourself as an app within those categories? Like hook up, not, somewhere in between, relationships. Is, that, we, is we, that even something you think about or is that something that, that the data tells you? No, no, no. We are, we, with a dating app, right? Like you come in with a very clear brand position. Yeah. So we came in with this emotional connection, deep and meaningful connections on the relationship side. Yeah. We're very anti-superficial. We're all about like actual connections. Like the most important thing in relationship is understanding emotions and understanding why your partner feels certain ways and whatever. Mm. Um, and our brand positioning is very like, it's exclusively inclusive. That's our little tagline because music everyone listens to. There's, there's no, there's no rules with music. Anyone from any creed, color, class, background can listen to it, and that's what we are here for. We're yeah. here for everyone. So we we don't like you get specific uh, apps like Grinder or, or whatever these like like apps from like gay people or lesbian people, but we don't we don't want to have to create separate apps. Everyone's working on our app. Obviously you can filter it down based on your sexual preference, but they don't, we don't see the need to make multiple apps for different sexual preferences. Yeah. And do you have, like, do you have enough data now? I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you do, but like, can you see from certain data? Like, do you have like a post purchase survey almost in terms of like, did you meet this person? what happened like do you know what what people are actually doing in terms of is there a lot of hookups going on the app is there a lot of two dates and then people fizzle out like how, how would you even attribute that i mean can you so we have um when you delete the app there's a survey that comes up like why delete pom yeah okay 
So we have that. Um, a lot of it is like we found someone. That's our second highest. Um, our highest is not enough people in my area, but that's yeah. because they're like they're, they're, I don't know, like Doncaster or whatever it is. Like, oh, so you're outside London now. We're open. We 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 made decisions to go. We opened the barriers, but we still concentrate on marketing in London. But obviously, people find it. People go to uni, tell their friends, and we want to see the organic yeah. pick up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like we did maybe one month of ads across nationwide. Then reconcentrated back to the UK, back to London, and like Manchester, Bristol, Birmingham, um, Manchester, Bristol, Birmingham, Leeds, all these major cities have got organic traffic. Mm. We haven't spent more than like I don't know two grand per city, but there's enough people to keep matching. Um, so we're yeah, really trying to facilitate the vir- virality and word of mouth there. How many people are on it in London then now? In London, it'll be just under ninety thousand. Yeah, so like Wembley Stadium. That's a decent chunk. Do you know how many are on something like Hinge in comparison? Hinge have over like 500 million. Like across the world. Obviously, yeah. yeah. Yeah, fuck. Because the one problem I could see with dating apps, and it's like, a, it's not controversial, but it's like a taboo topic. It's like, if there's a lot of people, but there's not like people that the other people are interested in, i.e. that they're attracted to, like higher quality how do you deal with that and like because for example I, I actually downloaded Thursday because I saw some fucking viral app like viral ad like months and months ago and I, firstly I, I I thought it was okay like as an app but the like for me the, the girls on it were just simply not as attractive as Hinge like just being real there was a, there was less girls that I would even be remotely interested in in fact I don't think there was any that I was interested in Whereas on Hinge, you can fucking swipe or whatever. And there's definitely a decent amount of fit girls. Even but, though I just can't be asked using dating apps anymore because I'm too old. But <laughs> but that is just basic numbers game, right? Hinge yeah. obviously have more people on there. There's going to be a more range of more range of girls on there. Yeah. And then they can obviously see which girls get the most likes. And therefore, they can be like, oh, they're the most attractive. So they can pump them your way as a new user. With Thursday, with us... The, our first adopters are people who are actually going to resonate with our idea mm. we can't control how attractive they are or what, like what, who they are we can't control that yeah. until we hit that scale where we're a household name everyone's on it and then you can start filtering that obviously now we have like our most attractive people compared to you know our least attractive yeah. people. we know that data so how do you even determine that though if if the whole premise is it's more about emotional connection because you're not even you're obviously not giving every fit person for example to everyone because they might not filter through the emotional connection thing so, like, so we can how see how do you define that we can see per categories that we have the I most like person yeah and then by like we don't sit there and just go through the profiles and be like hey you're hot you're not hot yeah, yeah. Well, we, I bet we, you do that as well yeah. privately <laughs> I might, we have very very strict GDPR rules about this that we can't we can't look through our profiles and stuff like this yeah um, but we we get we can infer these decisions hmm and what we do with that is that like we can pump them certain ways and push them certain users who haven't been active or come on for the first time. We can do all these little tricks other apps do. But we were discussing, like when, when we met two weeks ago, we were discussing how the golden the golden nugget for a dating app is okay. how can you choose who you want in your app and get them? Like what, what can you do? You can't specify an ad to a mm. certain type of person in the sense of like Attraction. attractiveness, for example. Yeah, you can just hope that certain demographics or interests have attractive people I guess yeah you hope the, your idea resonates with them 
Do you think it's harder to get attractive people, both guys and girls, onto a dating app because they have more options outside dating apps? Depends how you look at it, right? I think so many like philosophical questions you could down, go down with this sort of business. But I think it de- depends, right? Because there's. Oh, I hope my investors don't see this. I think um, you can get like two different types of attractive people, like the, those who know they're attractive, and then those who don't know they're attractive. And the ones that don't know are always more attractive, by the way. But they're harder to get on the app, okay? Because for them, um, you know, they're, they're just in their own little bubble. They don't, they don't think they're attractive, so they may not think they might do well on this app. Those who know they're attractive, I assume, would love dating apps because then it's, a, it's like dopamine, dopamine, dopamine. Attention. Because they're constantly getting like, liked. Particularly girls, I would imagine. So I think it's not that hard. I think the tra- attractive girls and guys who know they're attractive girls and guys will we use dating apps. Whether they intend to use it for the purpose of it, who knows? Yeah. Do you notice, like, do, do girls or guys use the app more? Like, it, I mean, obviously there's a difference. Like, which one uses it more for a start and, and which one sends the first message most? I mean, I assume guys send more first messages. So guys send more first messages, girls send more first songs. So, oh, interesting. Because we can send a song to open a chat. Mm. It tends to be the girls who, if someone sends a song, it tends to be a girl who sends a song. Yeah, is that, is that just like you send a song without any message and just like it's like a nudge? Yeah, they, that's how you open the conversation. And who uses the app more in terms of like swipes, likes, whatever, like the pure quantity of use? Uh, by nature of our audience size, girls, because there's more girls on the platform than men. How many more? Currently, I think the split is like 60-40. Oh, that's, that's not too bad. Yeah. But uh, like, for example, our, our, what I didn't actually understand is before we hired any girls at the company, not because there was like we didn't hire any, it was just we didn't have any, like there was none coming through. Yeah. We just based it on whatever. But before we had any girls in the company on our brand sort of team, our Instagram demographic was like 60, 40 men. So there's more men on our Instagram feed. They were the ones like our contact, the content. Um, four months ago, we brought on Pippa, our new head of brand. Mm. Our Instagram's 80, 20, it's women. Like it made the difference that a woman's perspective can have on attracting other women it's crazy yeah, that's interesting um, so that like that that's a, that was interesting for us because now we can leverage that because ultimately every dating app wants to have more girls than men because where the girls go the men follow yeah that's very true do you find <clears throat> like two part question can you is there a way to see like almost like order the profiles in terms of attraction and then based on that see if girls and guys are going for like equals or hires because there's an interesting concept or like a term that I heard on like Twitter called hypergamy I don't know if you've heard of it it's, it's the idea I don't know how like legit or like myth this is but it's, it's the idea apparently it's true statistically that I think it's like 90% of women go for the top 10% of men just like in the world broadly speaking whereas men tend to go for women that are inverted commas on their level whether that's you know well visually mainly like attractive wise like can you see anything like that on the app I mean we have the data to make to look at that right we could yeah. see that we ha- I can't say we've ran those calculations and yeah. looked into it I just think it's interesting um, but yeah I'm sure we can definitely see that yeah fucking hell it's probably so much you have in terms of business model then like what is the key metric for you as an app because for example now I'm in the subscription e-commerce game the key thing is like LTV to CAC ratio if that's good then 
you could probably raise fucking loads of money and scale the shit out of it. I mean, but that, for you, that like, still what applies. is that thing? Because we we old we don't charge right now. Yeah, that's what I mean. We're completely free, but ultimately we'll have a premium subscription plan, mm. and then that that will same same application there. Yeah, LTV to CAC will still be our metric. But right now, like I was what I was saying earlier, we are going this. When it comes to like VC, like tech startups and raising VC funds, there's two routes. There's the sort of the London route, the UK route, the European route, or the States route. Yeah. UK European route revenue you raise off your revenue all the details about how much people are paying you in the state size size and data yeah so there's two different plays we're currently like at this crossroads where we're deciding where if we put revenue in now and it goes really well great we'll do another round which is going to be great but if it doesn't go as well as we think that's going to directly impact the size of our next round the valuation we get because one thing I've been very precious on when we're raising money is our valuation like why wouldn't I want the highest valuation yeah so I've like gone to extreme lengths to make sure that we have a decent valuation at this point mm. um, but we're, if we go down the states route it's like we can just scale the company we can just scale to like millions and millions of users and not care if they pay or not obviously the a good business is there to make money we're aware of that we can make money mm. through like our events we make money through our partnerships um, we can even do advertising but as it stands right now, we are at a crossroads between putting in this premium feature or yeah. just going for the big size play. What would premium be in your case? I mean, obviously like Hinge and stuff is unlimited likes. So yeah, it'd be thing. very similar stuff, but it'd be like, you know, you can send more likes, all the standard stuff you get in Hinge, but then because the way we do our, we kind of cross over into the real world. Like our dating app is built to facilitate our real world events. Not like Thursday, where... Yeah, so do those events exist now? Yeah. Yeah. I saw some, like, influencer event on, on Instagram, for example. Yeah, so we, we launched, like, a new type of event every month. Mm. But it started off with, naturally, like, a club night, like an event. We, yeah. we rented Nightdales, had Chanty Celeste perform, and just to vibe our users, and that was, like, really fun. We did that. We've done a few of those. We've rented shops, like empty shops on the high street and just put a DJ in there, just invited everyone in the app. Mm. And it's just like this really organic community. And like we're a community-led brand. Like our followers, we don't have the highest follow count compared to Thursday, right? We're on, we're on like 38K followers, they're on like 200K. Mm. But our community are engaged. They listen to us. They they love what we do. They're passionate. Because music is tri- like not like tribal, right? It's, it's community-based. Yeah. So that's our model. So we do these little unique experiences powered by music. So the one last this month, this month was a dinner party. Yeah. We just rented a kitchen, invited like, this to launch it. So we invited like 25 um, influencers, a couple of our users, brought in partners like Zap and Moth to supply everything. Yeah. And just had a dinner party. Next month, it's going to be like a comedy show. The month after, it'd be like a pop-up gig. Um, so we're doing these little experiences that it's just not as high pressure as a come to this bar everyone's single because mm. if you go in there it's extremely predatory right yeah can you imagine walking in there and just everyone's eyes are on you looking like eyeing you up and down like we don't want that sort of thing we want to make it like just a really good experience if you find someone that's a plus yeah so, so do you have revenue now from events and stuff very and like yeah yeah and in terms of like spend I guess churns the term for like this sort of company like how much are you spending on, on like I guess is marketing the biggest expense user acquisition 
It was, but we're seeing a lot of good organic word of mouth sort of stuff now. So we've kind of, I think we're on like £5,000 a month right now. Oh, really? Yeah, it's yeah. pretty low. We really turned it down um, because we wanted to see. We were growing quite fast. We're growing quite quickly. We nearly considered Series A uh, this next, well, starting this month, mm. um, raising a Series A. But we have enough cash in the bank. We're like, why don't we just hold out, grow a bit bigger and then go for a bigger valuation, go for a bit yeah, more Yeah, so on that then, how do you go and raise even more money? I mean, you sound like you're fucking great at it and like, I need to learn something from you. But um, if you obviously don't have revenue yet, like, is there a point where investors, whatever, are saying, well, yeah, you're getting more users, but when's it going to pay back? Or is the play just raise, raise, raise and then get an exit, hoping that some fund that will raise even more and keep growing it, yeah. you know, it just passed the book along. The way it's worked so far, it's like throughout the, whatever, four or five months it's been live, I'm very active on LinkedIn. <laughs> unfortunately or fortunately, I don't know, but I'm very active on LinkedIn. I yeah. keep, I do, I'm very strategic about my LinkedIn. Mm. Um, I don't post stuff that like thought of the day or stuff. I, I post tactical stuff. So that don't I know post bollocks. Yeah, that, yeah, that's gonna, you know, intrigue investors. Mm. So throughout the past few months, I've gone, over 25, 30 angels, VCs in my DMs, add them to a list every month. I'll send them a little update. What's going on? Yeah. Um, they they DM me, but hey, you're raising. I'm like, not right now, but let me send an email next month. So I've got these 25, 30. Adding seeds. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So now there's a, there's a lot of VCs, angels who are keen to get in. They like our numbers. They're all aware we've not got any revenue right now, but it's the met, if you don't have revenue, the immediate next thing is retention. Your daily active users, your monthly active users. If mm. they're strong, then the likelihood that you're converting as paying users, that's a no-brainer. Yeah, and, and on that then, how how do those numbers look? Like, how long do most people stay on that? Because I know, for example, I mean, Hinge is the only one I've used in like the past three years and probably a lot of people watching. They won't admit they use it, but I definitely used to use it more, but it's still on my phone. I'm probably still paying for it, which I don't even realise. Yeah. How does that look for you? Like, how long do people stay on? And is there a difference between guys and girls? I don't know the guys and girls split off the stat, but on average it's like, first of all, on your phone, the average person has like four and a half dating apps, right? Mm. That's half, that's the metric. Four and a half dating yeah. apps you have on your phone. Um, so the dating app stickiness is really, in, like the, the industry average is 12%. Uh, daily active users divided by monthly active users, that's the metric. DAU of MAU. What does that mean in layman's terms? So daily active users, number of people coming to your product every day. Um, yeah. and then monthly active users number of people come back to you every month right. so you divide those two numbers and you get a, percent, and you get a number and that percent yeah. 12% is the average that's a good for a dating app so that's a good does that mean rate. like someone coming on I don't know seven days out of the month something like that no less three days out of the month three and a half days out of the month yeah, but, but wait, I'm trying to work that 12% I'm trying to work out what that means it's, 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 it's just the number of people right. coming back every day yeah. divided by the number of people coming back every month okay and then that that's a percentage that, that's 12% alright sure so if, if you're above you're good if you're out of that line you're average and if you're below you've got a problem yeah so we're, we're quite a bit above that so that that shows indicates that okay people like our product product's sticky they're getting value from it we see drop off we like it's, again we've been like four months so, yeah, shit, it's pretty fucking new. Yeah, so we, we, we still are learning the data. We're still learning what to do with it. Um, but we when we notice stuff coming down, all we do is, okay, think, why could people leave? And it's like, because of everything that happened with the tech, our app, till last month, was very much an MVP. Mm. It was the bare bones. On our roadmap, we should have been, you know, had a ticketing system in there, an event system in there. But 
because of the delays that happened, then obviously it hurt our runway. We had to think more long-term and think, okay, what can we do cheaper, but also that would keep people interested. So yeah. four months isn't a long time. Um, so we're still, like, yeah, we just got out of MVP. Yeah. There's so many fucking things I want to ask, but I want to keep it in order. One thing that I think is interesting is, and I've debated it with mates, is like, I feel like, I don't know if you noticed this, and even just from a personal perspective, like there's still like a bit of a taboo-ness about dating apps. Like, I don't know, I know plenty of people that met their girlfriend or boyfriend on a dating app, but it's almost like people always say like, oh, I want to meet my girlfriend in a coffee shop. I mean, so do I, by the way. Yeah. But then it's like, realistically, these days, if you're not on dating apps, you know, like, it's 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 the same way that social events has become like social media and then everyone's on fucking social media because if you're not, you're basically missing out on like a portion of existence. And now dating apps, which probably used to be kind of taboo and like a bit weird, it, it just is normal now, isn't it? Well, like, see, that, that's why our events are so good because it's like, there's nothing awkward about saying you met at a dinner party. Yeah, exactly. Hosted by Pond, but you know, say that. We, like, you met at a comedy night. We just we facilitate the actual event. What's wrong with that? So if yeah. you still have that taboo fear, fine. Yeah, very true. Yeah, I mean, I've been on plenty of dates from dating apps, but it always feels a bit awkward at the start because like, we met on a dating app, but at least the intention's clear. Yeah, you're, you're not trying to guess, like, are you I've had to some friends say like, oh, I'd much rather meet a girl in like a nightclub. But then my argument to that is, that's way more sleazy than like a sober dating app where there's like at least like clear intent. Yeah. And you're both on the same page rather than like a nightclub where you're intoxicated. It might be a mistake in the morning or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> So it's an interesting debate, but yeah, I, I kind of see both sides. Like, I definitely think the stigma is going down there. Definitely yeah, going down. Agreed. Because even, even a lot of people that I know didn't used to use apps are like still on apps now. I think probably COVID helped with that because... People are looking for a way to connect with people, right? Because they weren't allowed to see them, so... Yeah, exactly. Like, Daytime used to during COVID. We really messed up an opportunity there. Yeah. We should have launched Launched too late. Yeah. Do you use the app personally? And if so, can you play the algorithm to show all the best girls in theory I could do that but you can't because of GDPR and XYZ well I'm not it's not I'm not allowed to use my app my investors said they may pose a question of ethics whether you should be using your own app interesting which kind of point is like, I built this whole app and I was like I might as well fucking use it so you do use it no I, I, I respect it because if someone finds out like because we have a thing like what do you do <laughs> what would I write <laughs> founder of Palm it would be weird if you matched with the person yeah you could definitely play the algorithm, couldn't you, in theory? You could, then, but my CTO won't let me. Yeah. Not that I've asked him or tried to. Do you use other dating apps? Yeah, I, I use Hinge. I've used Hinge. I'm not an active user of Hinge, but if yeah. I've... Tinder, I've used, used it in the past, but not in the past, like, four years. Yeah, interesting. Changing topics then slightly, because this is one thing that someone did ask me on, on that Instagram post. Most of the questions are crap, but... What does your day-to-day -day look like running a dating app? Because I think a lot of people in general are intrigued what successful entrepreneurs' day-to-day -day looks like. But even from my perspective, I mean, I imagine it's similar to what I do in a day, fairly, but different. So we mentioned it briefly before we started recording, like you've got the office set up. Like how does the, the business look, I suppose, in terms of like a physical presence and like team and what you do day-to-day? And what your main focuses are or not? 
And I wish that was an easy answer. As in like, it's very cliche, but every day is different, right? With the, especially with a startup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, very cliche, but um, a typical day. So I tend to wake up at sort of six o'clock, um, go to the gym. And if you started it's, running as well, haven't you? Yeah, after work. Yeah, yeah. we need to speak about it. You need to get a lot quicker. Yeah. <laughs> you can't embarrass me in front of the whole podcast like that. No, I need to quicker running now. I, yeah, so get up, go to the gym. And then depending on what day it is, I'll either go to the office or I'll work from home. Like, like I said earlier, I like to split my time either in the office or at home. Yeah. Um, so I go to the gym. If I'm going to the office, I'll head straight to the office. See the guys. Usually it's sort of the developers and the brand team will be there. Um, kind of checking with them have sort of different calls with different people in the meeting so like every day I have a, a call with the heads of the departments or so like the CTO yeah. head of brand um, like acquisition I'll check in with them everything's going fine and then my current like my current tasks is, is quite this shift happened recently and it's very weird when it did but before I did everything I used to be the one making the assets that go on social media. I used yeah. to, I never used to run the ads because I learned I'm not very good at those, but I used to, you know, manage the new features coming into the app. Well, I at least say, this is what I want, make this roadmap um, and put it all down. I used to do every aspect of this business. And now, like, I, I've, I've like sometimes I, I don't see something go through. I'll see something and go, oh, that's quite nice. Mm. It's because there's so many, like, it's good because we built so many good systems and processes and I trust everyone in my team to do it really well yeah like that's why they're hired right and it's that point now where I'll have a, a, a meeting with Pippa I had a brand and I was like I want this done and then two days later it'll be done mm. and there's no need for me so a lot of my day is thinking about how can we hit the next level like obviously with our KPIs we know what we need to do yeah. to get our series A mm. how do I get to that as, as fast as efficient as possible how many people are in the team then like in house and out out of house I guess Oh, in and out? Well, that's not the right word. Is it out of house? Third party. So there's 12 full-time yeah. uh, at the company. And then maybe eight third parties you work with. So I assume team's the biggest expense then, by yeah, far. team burn rate is crazy. Yeah, shit. Especially with the developers that we hired yeah. paying above market rates. So like, in terms of actually just on that quickly, how much like dev and product dev work are you doing like constantly because obviously if the app's there are you just fixing bugs or is it like adding new features especially so, uh, if they're like one of the biggest expenses team wise we have, we have a are huge they, what, are they, what are they constantly working on so firstly it's the algorithm right hmm. like when I said that when I was raising that money I was not that version. I actually want that and we did get that yeah. so we're constantly making that better because at the end of the day what a lot of these data camps don't have is solid IP yeah. that is our IP that's right. worth something there's value in our algorithm because it's never been done before mm. and it's worth its value to music labels Spotify Apple Music Sony whatever it is it's worth it to them so that's what we're constantly developing on but then also features because of how firstly short we've been alive um, yeah how we just got yeah, out for, keep forgetting it's four months yeah because so, you've raised all this money and have 12 people I'm like fucking hell um, sounds legit so we were constantly building features out. We've got loads of stuff planned. Like the devs are constantly working. So yeah, devs are always busy. Yeah. One thing I'm really trying to get better at, particularly with this new business, is I'm fucking terrible at delegation because, and I'm 26, so I feel like I should have got better at it, but 
I just I really like doing stuff myself. Like every brand I've built, I could do. I've done all the aesthetic, like the whole the, all the design works. So I enjoy doing that, and, I, and all the product dev as well with this thing, for example. And and I can do everything myself to an extent, even like media buying. I've done that in the past, but now it's like I've had a bit of a switch just from like speaking to like like mentors, investors, whatever, even, even just you. And it's like fuck, I'm not going to build this billion pound brand, which is what, what I want to build. If I'm the one fucking posting on Instagram, but there's a fine line between, like I don't know, like where is the where is the point at which you're hiring too soon and you're spending too much money, and obviously it's different for like for you because the metrics are different, or like you know hire to fucking grow, because yeah, like I raise like seed funding for this whatever. Like it's a bit different with econ because I've got revenue from day one and. I shouldn't really be burning much money because it should affect, it should be, and it like, it will be within like two, three months, be like at least break even in terms of like the metrics, like ad spend, product, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I'm really trying to get better at that because I just find it hard to like, even with the podcast. So I hired an editor. Yeah, again, it's separate to the business, but it like plays into each other. And I was like, fuck, I, I just really need to stop editing my fucking podcast because I'm not, not going to become a billionaire if I'm editing videos right? Like broadly speaking, like, have you found that difficult? I mean, especially cause I mean, it's fucking impressive, but you're still a young founder dealing with a lot of shit. Like how's that, has that ever been hard for you? Or yeah. Is it just me that struggles with no, that? No, no, no. I think it's very nice. And how have you got better at it? Cause you've obviously got 12 people. Firstly, tech, tech was never, like, I was never protective about tech. I didn't know what to do. I was begging for someone to come in and take that over. Yeah. Um, but even when someone came over, I was very micromanaging. I was very much like, oh, can we just do this? And they're like, it's not possible. Just, can we just do that? And mm. I kept hounding them and it got to the point where I was bottlenecking our production. And then with brand, like like you, I'm very creative. That's my thing. Like the way the, yeah. the brand looks, that was my vision. Yeah. And I if it didn't match shit. what was in my head, start again, mm. do it again. Um, so yeah, it was very hard to let go. The big turnaround was firstly the tech where Luke, my CTO, he was just like, look, you are why it's so slow right now because you just yeah. keep adding in these little things that don't mean much or don't like, you, at least plan it out and put it in a structure. Don't just keep saying add, add, add. Mm. So then when I stepped out of tech, that wasn't as bad, as, not, it wasn't as hard as when I had to step back from brand because what happened is we took it to user testing. We took it to real people. Yeah. And it's the point where like, and then at the end of the day, you sit back and like, we hired people who are better than me and what I'm doing for a reason like we hired you because you're better this is what you're doing here so you gotta trust that they're gonna do it better obviously I still have my influence like I obviously make it very clear that I want this vision done and I see how they do it and then I'll be like I don't like this don't like this but it's all constructive feedback that was the problem I was never good at giving constructive feedback I was just like this is shit or this is bad this is not how it looks because if it doesn't match what's in my head it's yeah. wrong do you have you found it hard hiring people because I mean I, I got to the point with the previous business the neon sign shit about a year and a half ago now um, a year ago year and a bit where I, I did I did actually hire like in-house people and then didn't last very long because shit went tits up long story but I, I found that process particularly because most of them were older than me I got like massive imposter syndrome I was like how the fuck can I be telling these people what to do even though I'd obviously built the business and n- knew what I was doing to a degree like have you is that, uh, I mean, I would imagine most of the team are certainly like tech team are older than you. Yeah, a lot of the team are older than me. 
Have you ever had an issue with that? Maybe it's just, maybe I'm just fucking insecure. I need to work on that shit. I think I did, but maybe that's kind of why when we raised that first round, I had to be so fierce and so this is what we're going to do. And like, mm. because always age is going to play into this thing. And like, when I switch investors, right? These guys, are, I was on the Zoom with them, they're gray haired. Like, it's just like, why are we taking this kid seriously? So I had to play up then. And with the team, it's like, when they came in, I, there's, I think there's, each founder has a very different way they lead their team or whatever, they direct the team. But one the way I took it was like, get them to love the vision. So I really laid it out. I was quite vulnerable when I was laid out my vision for it. I was like, this is exactly what I want to happen. This is how, this is why we're the, gonna be the best, the biggest. And I got them to buy into that. So then it almost became, that of course there's arguments, there's friction about what should go and what should go. Everyone's working towards that same vision. Um, and I think imposter syndrome, it comes and goes. But it's mm. like, it's only when you stop and you think about stuff and you're like, yeah, shit. Start deeping shit. Yeah. But when you're in there and it's like stuff just needs to get done and you know how to get it done, then it doesn't matter who's the oldest and who's, it's just who's right and who's wrong. Yeah, very true. What is the main thing you're focused on four months in then? Is it a growth, I assume? Growth. Crazy, crazy growth. Is that the main thing you spend all day thinking about? How yeah. the fuck can we grow to whatever? How can I, how can I grow for the least amount of money? Like I love this, I love the budget lifestyle. I love thinking about having raised stupid. millions. He loves the budget lifestyle. It's just like, yeah. what stupid shit can I do with like a tenner? Yeah. Or like, how quickly can we turn something around? Like that's the thing. That's the, that is the thing that we need to get better at. Is from idea to execution. It should be twenty four hours. For us, it's like two days. It should be like because the longer you think about it, oh, this is a stupid idea. But if you just say, okay, we're gonna do this, we do it, and then just see what happens, right? Because we can try as many times, no one's gonna find out about that. They just need to find about the one that works. So we should keep going. So I, I spent my day ideating new sort of campaigns that we can be running, new strategy that we should be taking. TikTok's powerful because now I'm thinking, if I do something in London, I can only be there for 20 minutes. All I need is a photo of that. And then that can go viral in Twitter. Mm. Uh, not Twitter, TikTok. And if you look at our TikTok, we've got a recipe for virality. Yeah. Everything we do, not, not everything we do is viral, but everything we do, gets at least 25, 30,000 views. And we have 12 and a half thousand followers. Yeah, TikTok's a mad one. Yeah, I've actually hired someone in America, it's like 19, to run the organic TikTok because there was some brand on Twitter that I saw that was doing like half a million a month in revenue, just purely organic from TikTok, which is fucking unheard of. And they were getting like tens of millions of views. Is that is this the, uh, in, the incense one? No, it's a brand called Tabs Chocolate. Uh, it's a sex chocolate which is like perfect <laughs> sex and chocolate everyone likes and Fair. it just works. I don't know if the product's any good. I never bought it, but it, it looks good. And yeah, their marketing's mad. So yeah, TikTok organic is fucked. Like it's something I feel, it's the first platform I feel too old to like natively understand. Like be a user of? Yeah, like I, I use it. Like I'm just like scroll on it. But like in terms of like optimizing my, like a brand profile and actually posting shit, I'm like, fuck, I need to give it to someone else. Yeah. Which is interesting because like Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, whatever, I've always like, particularly Instagram, it just made sense. I've never got Twitter. I started using Twitter myself, like my personal brand, like seven months ago and it's a mad platform. I just don't, I just never. I, I used to not even, I thought it was just what, what, what people spoke shit on, but like money Twitter, like entrepreneur side of Twitter, it's mad. Like the organic reach is fucking crazy. I had a tweet, get half a million impressions. Crazy. And I've got like 4,000 followers. That does not happen on Instagram. Yeah, no, Instagram, Instagram's fried. But even like, you see, you know, you notice the power of TikTok when you see 
the prices rise on Facebook. Yeah. Like you can, it's evident that it's, people are stolen away to TikTok. Yeah, 100%. It's like, yeah. So we, we've, we've actually, we're, we're about to do a big push on digital, but not a dime's going to matter. It's staying with TikTok. Not a dime? Not a dime. That's interesting because I'm running paid on Google, Facebook and TikTok. I mean, we're two weeks in, but Facebook's looking really good. TikTok doesn't look as good yet, but I'm experienced enough to know that two weeks is not enough data. We need like three months. But they, they all seem, they play into each other. That's the thing I find, at least from like an econ media mind perspective, is if you switch one off, the rest perform worse. Because it's like multiple touch points. People might Google, for me, like mushroom powder, not buy, but then they'll see an ad on TikTok, you know, again, not buy, and then they get hit with a retargeting ad on Instagram, they're like, fuck it. Buy. So it's like all three. Yeah. So it's like, it's like the whole media buying orchestra, if you will. And yeah, I feel like having everything just fucking helps. But TikTok, I'm just seeing like a lot of mates, brands, like a lot of people, and it's just working like ridiculously well, like in paid and organic. Yeah, we're, we're just seeing like, we, we looked at the stats, right? We looked at our install rate and especially like the toughest install is women on iPhones. That's the really? hardest demographic to lock down. And Google, like that was costing like six pounds, like five pounds, men were cheaper on Google. But then TikTok, killing it. Like just pumping money into that. that that's what we're going to double so down. So one pound CPA compared to like six? Yeah, for, for women on iOS. That's mad. And how, how much are you planning on spending on TikTok? To be decided, to be decided. But a lot? Not a lot. We won't do like, we won't go back to levels we were, but I'd be to like sort of 15, 20k. Yeah. So, and if you're planning a series A, more money, obviously. Like, are you going to get VCs involved? Yeah, I know. And then you're a bit more controlled, I guess, to an extent. We'll get VCs, but we'll get tactical institutions as well. Yeah. Big music players. We'll get, because again, my, my vision doesn't stop at dating. We're not, we're not dating yeah, going music. To that, like, what, what is the vision? I guess you're four months in and you're already doing something. Yeah. So we're not, we're not, we don't, we don't like to position ourselves as a dating, a dating app with music. It's ultimately we're a music app with dating. And that sounds stupid. But if you use the mm. platform, what we're finding is people use it to discover music. People are discovering a lot of new music. Yeah. Um, and the way we've done it is you can save music from profiles. So even if it might not match with someone, you save that music. And because of all this like emotional data that we have on people, you find it's actually very valuable to record labels. It's very valuable to like music artists because they're understanding how their audience actually listens to their music. They're understanding why, why they listen to their music. And they can see what artists are similar to them and what songs are doing well and how they can jump on trends. Yeah. This information and this use of the data that we have that's interesting to me. Dating, it's fun, but the industry itself is horrible. Like even in London alone, right, there's three major dating apps. Mm. Um, and if you look at the LinkedIn, it's just it's just bashing each other. We don't really partake in it. Maybe a couple snide comments there and then. Yeah. But we, we never start it. And it's just like, we're doing very different things. Yeah. How big, do you have like a clear end goal? for this and, and two, two part well two part question firstly like as the business and, and the brand like from day one did, did you have a clear vision well I guess actually answer that first then I'll ask the next question did I have a clear vision of and, and, and has that changed within four months because you've seen an element of it's fucking working 
Yeah. And then you think bigger, obviously. And yeah. you always think bigger because you, it's like a carrot on the end of a stick. You get to one thing and then you think, all right, let's do it 10x. Well, yeah. So from day one, I was like, got 100,000 downloads. That'd be fucking sick. I got there and I was like, fuck, I just want to add another zero to that now. Yeah. It was like, it was, it was almost like anti, it was actually anticlimactic. Always is. Yeah. And even, yeah, it was anticlimactic, especially when you see like other apps like in the industry just saying they, the same day we announced 100,000 downloads, another app in our field announced 250,000 downloads. Yeah. So it's just like, there's always something more to chase. But again, these are ego numbers, right? The down, number of downloads, it's interesting, but it doesn't matter much, right? Retention and then ultimately revenue, that's what's important. What's the end goal then in terms of size? or Maybe not end goal, but like the big goal that, well, I guess end goal. In terms of size, brand, what you want it to be and how long do you think that's going to take? Size, size uncapped, right? There's always going to be single people in the world. We can, as much as we can, as much as the market we can capture. Yeah, but I think true. the end goal is I don't want to stay in dating. Mm. Even the events we're doing, they're more interesting than the actual dating app itself. Because the events we're doing is just really unique experiences, which you don't see much. Like, of course you see like comedy nights, but you don't see it tied up in such a nice way, the way we do it and the way it's positioned. It's like, indiv- it's like experiences for individuals but everyone's there on their own. And it's like, we're trying to make it comfortable to be on your own. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting, but then also the music plays really interesting. Like I, 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 that, I was born from the, I, was, I wasn't born from it, but like the idea was born from the events industry. Yeah. So that in itself is really where the passion lies and that music industry and then working with artists. Like already we're like working with these, the most like amazing emerging artists, trying to give them a platform. Um, like we've got a stage at a festival in summer where it's purely going to be for artists that like won't be heard like the people who are actually really talented but just won't get that big break mm. so maybe there's an opportunity to kind of sign some of the artists or at least become like a yeah like a sort of label in a sense yeah that's interesting there's a lot of shit you could do yeah I would really like to do like in-person shit with the brand I'm now building I had this idea the pool party social club which I've now made an Instagram account for. I don't know what the fuck it is yeah. yet, but I think it's cool. Because, yeah, I think just more and more people want to feel like, like digital world and social media has made like e-com brands, you know, SaaS businesses, apps, whatever, be able to grow really quick when done correctly. But then there's always, there's more and more lack of like actual human interaction. And like you were saying at the start, like fucking connection with someone, which ultimately is like, you can't get rid of biology just because there's like a, technology to facilitate certain things and yeah like in, in person shit is just great which is why i like doing the pod in person and yeah. it's not the fucking same when you do it on zoom and there's like a shitty connection yeah like you can't really the whole vibe's just different so yeah i'm a big advocate of like real authentic shit so i think that's cool do you have a goal like financially and, and as a founder in terms of like you know, obviously getting an exit or whatever. Like for me, I guess like the, I mean, probably every founder is like, it'd be really fucking cool to exit for like a billion quid and have a Forbes article and then fucking feel like a G for about a month and then be depressed and do the next thing. But like, is is there a goal and I guess a plan to get there? And, and how, how do you think that looks as an app? Because I like, I think a lot about this as like an econ brand. It's like, you know, who could potentially what's the whole strategic narrative 
you know, as a startup e-com brand, I think about that a lot more now as I'm a bit more experienced and shit. Like, but, but how do you, do you think about that? Like, what is the plan there? So I always had the idea, for some reason, Hinge has always been in my like targets. Not for yeah. you, I, I like, I think Hinge is the best dating app with the choice we got, mm, yeah, aside same. from Palm. <laughs> so Hinge has always been in my, in my targets. And I know that the founder got bought out for 400 million. From Tinder, right? Yeah, from Match Group. Yeah, Match Group, right. So that's my minimum. That's yeah. ambitious. It's that like, was a few years ago, right? Yeah. And how long had the app been around? Do you know? Seven years. So it took seven years to get yeah. there? Yeah. I mean, if you, I guess if you divide it, that's like 70 million years. It's not bad. It's not bad. Or 60 million years, whatever. So as long as I beat that, I'm fine. But again, it's not It's not the fine. Because the, the thing is, it, it was. But I know it's not going to... It's going to be anticlimactic. Fine, it'll be nice to see 100, 400 million bank out, but it'll be anticlimactic. Yeah. And I'm already anticipating the anticlimactic action. And I, and I, I don't even know it's going to happen, but in my head, it's going to happen. And just like, in my head, this dating app is going to work. And I, we still don't know if it's going to work. It's four months in. But just yeah. in my head, I know something is going to happen. And usually... Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. It's like, you've got to go with your guard. Otherwise, what else are you doing? It's like a, a, a deluded conviction that actually makes sense. And like people that actually have the balls to believe in their delusion usually actually make it happen. Usually hear about the ones that make it happen. Well, true, true. But yeah, I guess there's that whole argument of like survivorship bias. But I just don't buy into that because it's a negative way to look at things. But yeah, it's interesting because I've I've spoken to a few people that have had like massive exits and shit. Some of which have been on the pod. And they basically said to me, yeah, it's cool. But then now I don't really have a purpose. it's, It's quite like humbling and weird to hear that when a lot of the shit me and my mates will speak about is like obviously I want to get filthy rich building something cool and I still do but then it's like maybe the building something cool and the process of building something cool is actually the thing that should be the goal from the start and just continuing doing that so I'll discuss it with my um my flatmate he's also he's running his own crypto project right now but it was like for example like if you do get this big exit or you know you get bought out or finally you've hit this goal where then someone essentially like, like an ex, someone takes the business off your hands and you wake up you're like what do you do with the day like when was the last time you woke up thinking what am I going to do today not for a long time sometimes I wish that was the case yeah, um, can you imagine I guess that you day? start the next thing yeah but then it's like fuck you have to go back to the drawing board but I guess if you're an entrepreneur there'll always be a lot of ideas for that drawing board and if you have a lot of money you can probably make it happen quicker Exactly. So, maybe it'll be fun to bootstrap a company. I mean, the events company was bootstrapped, I guess, but it didn't hit crazy heights, right? Yeah. It just touched six figures. But if you bootstrap like a like a tech company, for example, that'd be interesting. Like I mean, bootstrapping product. with a, with four hundred million in the bank would be yeah. kind of a bend of the term. But yeah. It would technically be true. You spend a hundred million on like tech and lose money, but yeah, I mean. I, I do think about this quite a bit to be fair because I, I'm fortunate enough to know a lot of people that have been very successful and people that I believe are going to be and it, yeah it's, it's an interesting like conversation because everyone wants more money that's just like a fucking fact and people that say they don't are lying but actually like 
what you want and, and what I want is freedom really isn't it it's, it's options and freedom to do exactly what I want when I want with who I want but it's like even if you had a billion quid tomorrow if you're not doing it with if you're not around cool people that you can trust and appreciate and like or whatever then that would be shit anyway so that's why I'm, I'm so appreciative and a big advocate of like you need to have a good circle otherwise it's all irrelevant anyway I would hate to be the guy that's like I don't know 40 years old made a billion quid but has like no relationships with anyone that you can actually trust do you know what I mean so I don't know uh, maybe I'm like fairly woke for my age or some bullshit but <laughs> no, no, I, I agree. still want to I get think, really rich yeah. and doing something cool but yeah I think I've built an awareness of the shit that's important outside of that as well maybe I think part of the fun is like like you said the circle right having people around you who are killing it as well like it's not only motivating for you, but it's like you're all in this sort of together, different journeys, but you're all in the same thing together. You're aspiring for the same thing. Yeah. It's like me and my mates always speak about it. I just, yeah, it'd be so cool to just get to the point where all the boys have fucking made it. Yeah. And then you build the next thing, whether that's together or separately or whatever. But yeah, just being on that journey together to an extent, coming from nothing to something, whether that's building an app or an econ brand or fucking crypto NFT rug pull <laughs> idea not a rogue but yeah it's interesting do you think like having I guess like raising loads of money and having like, access to a lot of capital at a young age has that like changed your perspective on money because it was interesting when you said that like the money's there it's easy to get because I think a lot and I agree to an extent definitely um but I think a lot of people watching or listening, or whatever, will be like, "Yeah, but I don't have the fucking skills to do it," and like, and, and maybe they're starting with very li- like limiting beliefs that you know, it's not possible, whatever. I don't, I don't know what the question is. I suppose the question is like, have you always thought that, or is, have you have you learned to think in that like unique, optimistic, entrepreneurial way? So there's two things to that. The first thing is when I raise money for the first time. I didn't do the classic, what which I see every single startup person do. And I know they do it because they're, they're messaging me. So I get a lot of like DMs on, on like LinkedIn or Instagram being like, hey, like, can you, can we have a conversation? Like, how do you do this and this? Yeah. And that's already a point where I think they've done something wrong. Or in my opinion, wrong, sorry. When I started, I didn't Google anything. I didn't know, what, I didn't even know what Y Combinator was. I yeah. just thought I needed money. And I went to LinkedIn because naturally that's where all the people, rich people would, like with money would go. Yeah. And then I was on these conversations with these people and they were like asking me these questions. I was like, just, if you want to be in it, you can be in it. It's your loss if you're not. I had that sort of blissful arrogance with me. Mm. And whether they thought it was a play or not, it wasn't, I just didn't know any better. And then what I see, like after knowing like the start of what a bit more, researching a bit more, there's a way that they tell you to do it. Like always back up with numbers, have this set plan to do it. And when someone reached out to me asking how do I raise money, for me, you've already lost that that like ignorance to it all because you're asking yeah. what's just the routine so you're not just doing it you're not just doing it yeah. like like one of my investors who actually stood who, who invested and he said me said this said this to me the other day he was like when i first met you i couldn't tell if you're an idiot or just super clever and he's like you're somewhere in between but because of yeah. the conversation he was like oh um he said like oh i'm not sure like i could do for, like it was giving me the equity so i was like i'm not sure i could do it for that valuation I was like, all right, cool. I've got another call later. But, I, but not in a rude way. I just, 
I just, in my head, I just didn't comprehend the fact that- You hadn't that been corrupted by failure at that point. It's probably no way to put it. Yeah, but even if someone rejected me, I was like, I, in my head, it's like, you're lost. Yeah, or like, I don't yeah. care. I have 20 I like more meetings that. booked up. Like, So true. Yeah, I, I get a lot of DMs off the back of this pod, particularly about e-commerce, well, all about e-commerce. And it's people asking me like ridiculously, stupidly basic shit. Like I literally had a Don message me, can you edit this picture for me for my website? <laughs> it's like, firstly, no. Secondly, do it yourself. Thirdly, if you can't do it yourself, Google it. But the fact that people aren't even just doing something instead of asking someone else to do it for them, it's a bit alarming. But yeah, I, I know what you mean. I think you've just got to be... But I think with investors as well... Just like fucking jump in. People are really worried about people think investors are hold the upper hand because they're the ones with the money to an, to like an extent they do but if you have a good business they're going to want to put their money in you like they're, if they're an investor they're going to grow this money so I think you've got to have this it's not arrogance you've got to have the confidence in like if you think your business is great and you know that you can do it you need, the, you need to raise external funds because not everyone can bootstrap or your business model may not work like that yeah just have total belief in it like it, I, don't, I, I don't think the model is that the investor is always right you shouldn't bend over backwards for them I think you can afford to be a bit you know no sorry like don't, like I'll stick it like staying firm here this is my valuation take it or leave it yeah I think that that's what without that mentality and I, if I was bending over backwards for everyone I'd mm. be left with 10% of my own company in the first round yeah very true what sort of percentage of ownership do you think you'd have at the end like do you even think about that because I, I was, I say like now, I'd rather have 50% of 500 million. I mean, that's a lot, but then fucking, you know, 100% of nothing. Yeah, or I'd even rather, 20% of 500 million. I'd, really, I'd rather have a tiny piece of a massive pie than a huge piece of a tiny pie. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. Right, like, like I, I said throughout, valuation to me is everything. Mm. Even though it means fuck all, right? It literally means fuck all. Yeah, until someone's willing to buy it. Exactly. Because by default, you can go into like... It was, it was like recently, like one, like my CTO, when we closed that pass round, not recently, but when we closed the round before, mm. he was like, oh, do you realize your net worth is like yeah. over a few million? I'm like, yeah, but no one's going to pay that much money. Yeah. I still only have X in my bank account. It's definitely not a few million. It's like, yeah, it's that crazy thing. But I think for me, valuation is always like, in the long run, that's how I'm going to play it. You want to hold off as long as you can because then someone buys it. Yeah, that's like that Drake lyric I just thought of. What is it? Don't show me evaluation, show me personal funds or some bullshit. Yeah. It's so true. But yeah, I guess like evaluation is obviously indicative of something. Like people are willing to fucking back it. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because yeah, I was at an event last night and one of my investors is worth like ridiculous money on paper. But he said himself, like it's fucking on paper. Yeah. No, like, no one's paid me that yet. Exactly. Granted, he's done very well already, but yeah like not not the numbers that are on paper but it's crazy yeah it's a mad world um what do you think has been the hardest thing well i guess you've only been well how long have you been running the business for not not since launch but so, just like total first lockdown 2020 it's like two years <laughs> two years wait so it took over a year to launch yeah well over a year yeah fuck that's quite a while actually what's been the hardest thing understanding why your product's so important so, like my, my my thing is like you know I'll, I'll i hold up my hands and the fact that it's 100 percent my fault 
that the product fucked on day one. Mm. Um, I didn't take it seriously enough. I didn't do enough due diligence on the tech companies. I assumed it was a very easy process. I should have hired a CTO. I spent too much money on marketing. I really neglected my own product. Because again, like the events and everything I'd done in the past, regardless, it was all based on how the marketing looked. It was all about what you did to sell it. Yeah. And like, even though we smashed that, there's two pieces involved here. The product needs to match that. And you just look stupid if your marketing is insane, but your product is actually dog shit. So mm. the biggest lesson would be, I'd say focus on product and then worry about your marketing. Yeah, interesting. I'll try and wrap things up soon. I mean, there's so many, so many things I want to ask that I probably haven't asked. I've already kind of asked you what the end goal is. I mean, that's always something I ask people. Well, I guess actually, is there an end goal? I know we kind of alluded to the certain things you might want to do. But like, do you have a, I don't know, three to five year plan until X? Or right now, would you, are you just trying to fucking grow it and enjoy the process? And if that happens now or in five years or in 10 years, then great. Yeah, I think the opportunities off the back of this are crazy. I think there's loads of different things we can do with it, with the brand and the company as a whole. And I'm, I'm just here for the ride. Uh, like I have an idea of what I'm doing for the next few years at least but after a point it's just like I'll see where it's like even four, in four months there's been like three opportunities to completely change the business that just pop out of nowhere and you'd be mm. tempted by them because they make sense like there was a chance to like dramatically increase our revenue by pivoting the business but it was like three months in I was like I'm not going to do that now maybe I may regret that we'll, we'll speak in a year's time and we may regret that Yeah, but stuff changes on daily so you don't really know yeah like I just thought the question actually is quite interesting like how how much do, do you subscribe to the idea that like you should like fucking work until you get a big exit and then enjoy life versus enjoy the process and find like a good balance because I'm always torn between the two I mean I, I definitely don't I don't I don't do this whole like monk mode at all I mean yeah. I find a balance which is kind of a bit of both for me like I guess there's seasons to life like there's certain months and like last year I had a fucking terrible year and I was in the trenches for many months but obviously recently I was like I'm travelling well I'm not really travelling a lot but I've been travelling a fair amount in 2022 while also running the business and I enjoy myself I drink nice red wine probably twice a week I like to go out for dinners and shit so it's not all work like where are you on that spectrum because you know, I come across people on Twitter who are, it almost seems fake where they're like I'm not going to speak to girls I'm not going to drink alcohol I'm not going to smile until I'm rich and then it's like <laughs> fucking hell well I don't know is that healthy or maybe I'm deluded that I think you can do a bit of both like where do you sit on that and how do you find a balance if there is one I think for me it was very different right I started in lockdown so I had nothing else to do mm. but work. Yeah. And I also had very much, I was very much in, in the trenches, as you said, like working crazy hours. Yeah. Because like, there's nothing else to do. And I, 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 I actually enjoyed it. It's not mm. like I'm, there's a part of the reason I never have a real job, a real job, like a proper yeah. job. It's because I, I would not enjoy that working for someone else. No, same. Putting in all these hours for someone else's dream to come true, not yours. So for me, I think balance is important. Like I still go out, like we met each other on night out, like we yeah. go out. It's yeah. it's that balance. And the biggest thing for me was managing like 
my friends who have these nine to fives and then me who does not have a nine to five mm. you know like those this tuesday night after work pints at a pub like yeah. is that a thing apparently so but like yeah but with my like my friends my good friends who do that like they know that this is the deal i'll be there when it matters but if i can't make a tuesday night drinks it's fine so i, I find balance in the sense that the best part about what we do is the time freedom that I can choose what I do. If I want to work, I want to work. If I want to go for a pint on Tuesday, I could go for a pint on Tuesday. Yeah. So I, I definitely believe in balance. I don't think this whole lock yourself for six months, you know, no carbs, red meat only, yeah. nothing. Just live like a primal king. Don't have sex, like semen retention. Yeah, exactly. Red light therapy. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, oh, that's an extreme example, but there's literally guys on Twitter that preach this shit and it's quite funny it's a lot of these crypto people as well like incel spec yeah like all these sneaks um but i just don't think i think it works for some but ultimately as well like think about your productivity level 24 hours a day you're not going to be productive mm. i think it's different between hard work and smart work yeah agreed you find that balance obviously you need to work hard to work smart but you, it's not Sing at a laptop for 12 hours a day is not going to make you any richer than singing hour for five hours. Depends what you do in those hours, right? Very true. Very true. Right, final question. And I feel like for you it's an interesting one because you're still quite young. But if you had to give three bits of advice to your, I guess, call it 18-year-old self, 16-year-old self, whatever, younger self, knowing what you know now, what would it be? And this, this could be about everything. Life, business. <laughs> um... You have to think on the spot. Yeah, no. <laughs> I it's think, a good question. It makes people think. I think, especially because of like, you know, you say I'm young, whatever, but if there's not, if there's time to trust yourself, it's when you're young. So I'll say back yourself. Until you're 30, you can consistently back yourself and you can fail and you can get back up. Yeah. I'll say keep backing yourself. I think back yourself is really important. Um, just because they're older doesn't mean they're right. That was another thing. Yeah, like you always agree. you always taught that if you're older, respect your elders. All exactly, that. like they're gonna know more. And it's, it's, it's like I've I've been alive longer, so I know more. What I know, if I know, you fucking don't. Like <laughs> very true. Yeah, you 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 know your path, like great, but it's different. And then the third one, I just don't know. There's a lot. <laughs> Pick one, a good one. I think don't don't focus on money so early, in the sense that. I think if you do if you if you do something different like the, a lot of the things if I talk to my friends they're like oh I don't want to start a business I have this idea for a business but you know it's not going to earn me as much as work of KPMG in the grad scheme mm, so so yeah I think there's a balance obviously don't do something that's just going to lose you money and just make you more broke whatever I think there's a balance but don't chase money first if you have like a passion for something yeah because I'm playing a long game here right it's not like learning hundred thousands. Yeah, playing the five year game until the next year. Yeah, no, I agree. Good advice. Fucking hell. That's an interesting episode. I feel like we could go down many, many rabbit holes, but we're one hour forty two in and I feel like people fall asleep after that apparently, statistically. <laughs> so with that said, um I think we'll wrap up. That was yeah, pretty unique episode, I think. Um maybe I said some controversial things that get me cancelled as as with every episode, but um yeah, I enjoyed hearing about your journey. I'm, I'm fucking, I was impressive to be fair for 23. 
very impressive, especially four months in. I'm excited to see where you take it, and maybe I'll have to download Palm. After you this have to download Palm. Meet now. my future wife. I actually am going to download it to be fair and give you my honest, brutal feedback. But um, everyone watching the pod should download it as well. If you're watching the pod, subscribe as usual. Recommend it to a friend, and we'll see you in the next episode. Cheers for watching. Peace.